0: Hey everybody, what's going on? It's uh, Ryan Lambrose and you're listening to the Youth Culture Collective Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we are so grateful that you would give up your time and that you find uh, this episode, this podcast, uh, something that you want to listen to, that you feel like is worth listening to. Super grateful. Um, we've loved being on this journey. This is our second episode of season one and we're really excited about uh, giving this to you. Um, just as a reminder, maybe this is your first time listening, so I wanted to go over kind of some basics. Uh, one, who we are. Um, the Youth Culture Collective podcast, we're simply a space for conversation and discovery, um, specifically with leaders and learners who are passionate, they're innovative, um, and most importantly, they're loving toward youth culture of today. Um, you know, our approach here is really instead of just trying to comu- you know, communicate uh, the different concepts, ideas, information about youth culture, uh, we want to communicate the stories of the leaders and learners um, and uh, that are engaging with the youth already. Um, and so hopefully, through hearing these stories, you kind of begin to see, be moved by, maybe and even start to understand the culture of youth. So that's kind of our heart and our vision. Uh, and so hopefully you catch that. The um, Youth Culture Collective consists of three people. Myself, I'm a youth pastor here in Gilbert, Arizona, and also um, we've got Patrick Buck, and he's a youth pastor resident in Gilbert with me as well. Um, and then you have Caitlin McMaines, who's a youth pastor in Queen Creek, Arizona, and a dear friend of mine. And so we kind of uh, all make up the Youth Culture Collective. So um, you can hear us anywhere pretty much that a podcast can be heard. Um, so you go, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, um, kind of all the main areas. So um, share it, share it with your friends. We'd love for you to do that. Um, our main website is uh, Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash youthculturecollective. So all of our podcasts are um, saved there. And if you want to go even above and beyond, uh, I do a weekly devotion uh, that you can access there um, at Patreon. And uh, and then we also try to engage deeper. Um, uh, Patrick, Caleb, and I go kind of above and beyond the just the interviews that we do. You can also access them at patreon.com youthculturecollective as well. Um, and you can follow us on Instagram at youthculturecollective. So, um, I'm excited about this episode because for two reasons. One, uh, we are uh, addressing and talking through mental health in youth, which I think is a huge subject, a huge subject that not a lot of people um, know a whole lot about. And so I'm really excited to be able to kind of give this to you, and and hopefully it blesses you and and informs you well on the mental health uh, environment and atmosphere that youth are engaged with right now. Um, The second reason I'm really excited is because one of the people that we uh, talk about this with is my wife. She's a licensed therapist. Um, and uh, and then we also pulled in a young man named uh, Tony, who's also a licensed therapist with my wife at a private practice here in Arizona. Um, and so it's always fun to interview your wife. Um, I think I'll have her on again. She's way smarter than I ever will be. Um, she's so good uh, at what she does. But uh, so yeah, so we tackle on um, just various different questions about why youth are struggling with mental health and depression and anxiety. What are some of the ways that they can find hope? What are the stigmas or the the items that that are addressed in mental health that people don't want to talk about? Uh, Why are parents scared oftentimes to find help for their youth who are struggling Um, and things like that. So uh, I hope you enjoy. Again, share us online, tweet us, tweet about us, post us on Instagram, get the word out uh that would mean a lot to us uh leave us some comments if you liked it didn't like it um you can always contact us you can contact me patrick or caleb um but uh, yeah so i hope you enjoy and i hope you're having a great and amazing day wherever you're at what's going on everybody it's ryan here with the Youth culture collective podcast sitting over there it's mr patrick buck what's up pat
1: how's it going
0: you you missed our last episode you ditched us i did but, but now yeah. caleb's ditching us so yeah we'll see who does better yeah, a little yin and yang. Yeah, um, super excited today. We are talking about the subject of mental health, and we have uh, one of my favorite people. It's my wife. Hi. Full disclosure, <laughs> Jessica. Um, and you're also a favorite person too, Tony. Don't I'm not leaving you. Sweet. Right. Tony, um, both are licensed therapists, and uh, they're gonna be talking with us today about mental health. So, good morning, everybody. How good morning. are you? Thanks good for morning. being here. Good yes. God. Tony's wearing his Pittsburgh Penguins gear. It's Saturday.
2: <laughs> it's Saturday, Pittsburgh. It's hat yeah. and it's is this Penguins is this day. how you
0: guys typically dress
2: this is, when
0: you meet with people? It
2: depends on how old they are. No,
0: that's why I wear.
3: <laughs> I woke up this morning and I looked at my wife and I said, "It's hoodie day because <laughs> it's
0: Saturday." Which and Pits, means... I'm assuming Pittsburgh Penguins are your team. Yes. Uh,
2: Tony's from Pittsburgh. Nice. I yes. I Good am. times.
0: Well, okay. So uh, in lieu of that introductions. Um, who are you? What do you do? Um, and then you have to answer this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you and why? <laughs> so However weird. you want to interpret that
2: question. So weird. Oh, jeez. Can we go first? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So my name is Jessica Lambros. Um, I'm a licensed therapist here in Gilbert. Um, I'm at a private practice right now with, uh, with Tony in Gilbert. And um, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being really weird. However, you want to no, interpret that's it. That's a really important. Where's the range? <laughs> I am on any given day right in the middle now. I would say I am more weird, but I like that. I'd probably say like seven or eight. All
3: right. Because doesn't I just say whatever does Dimitri comes from Martin me. say the scale of hotness of a girl and the weirdness of Do the girl know. directly <laughs> <laughs> correlates.
2: It's true. See? There you go. me so saying I'm your It's happening. It's super weird. It's happening. Yes. Cool.
3: Yep. Tony? Um. Oh, okay. I remember what you asked me. So my name is Tony Zielko, Z is in zebra, I-O-L-K-O, in case you want to look me up on Google. I... I
0: misspelled your name like three times trying to email you. Oh, you did? Is yeah. that okay. why it's I did It's a didn't...
3: fun one to yes. say, though. Um, I am also a licensed therapist. I work with Jessica at our private practice, which is run by Carrie Meyer at Exhale Counseling. I also started working at our clinical director's uh, new PTSD inpatient recovery house <laughs> mm-hmm. where I provide EMDR services for the guests at that house. Mm-hmm. One-of-a-kind PTSD inpatient facility, Nice, which is cool.
0: And how weird are you?
3: On a scale of 1 to 10, a weirdness, <laughs> yeah, I am Ron Swanson.
0: So. Ron Swanson <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10. Nice. Um, any special... Um, like uh, things that you focus on in your counseling and therapy, like you said EMDR. I know Jesse do EMDR. Any any other specific? I don't know what you call them. Right. Um, specialties, if you yeah, will. Specialties, yeah, specialties. Yeah,
2: I mean, so yeah, so I do. I do um, a lot of trauma focused care. I would say um, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's kind of very eclectic, but very mm. narrative focused. You know, the idea behind story, and we're all having a narrative throughout that. Um, I will see kids all the way down to probably age six, all the way through adults, um... The and only, old people and old. Oh, that's
0: rude. It's not Old rude. Ages. Old.
2: Age is but a number. Um,
0: older. Older. Senior citizens. The, yes.
2: Yeah. The yeah. aging community is what they call them. Are. Um Yeah. I, so I see a wide range. The only thing I'm typically not super keen on, specialty wise, would be couples. I do. If I have one client, they bring in like their spouse to do some work. Yes, I just don't usually do couples right out the door. I'll refer to, to sweet sweet Tony over here for that. So yes. Yeah.
3: Okay. Uh, trauma EMDR is our. My extra specialty. Yep. Um, but I think trauma is everything. Uh, you're anxious probably because of trauma. You're depressed because of trauma, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So um, conflict resolution, it's all trauma based. So right. I focus it all on trauma. But I love couples because, mm-hmm. um, well, when I was a pastor, I did a lot of that premarital counseling mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's like an area I like, but also because it's like my time to channel my inner Dr. Phil. Mm. <laughs> So I'm like less like compassionate and like I'm more like like hammer down and like let's get to the issue. I know, he's like
2: guess what I told this couple there. I was like, you said that? And he's like, yeah, it worked perfect. And you just, I was like, do you wow. say it
3: in the Doctor Phil accent? Of course. Uh, no, but as condescending as
4: he does. <laughs> That's so rude.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so <clears throat> excuse me. Um, if you could send one sentence today to yourself ten years ago. What would that sentence be? Oh so your two thousand nine self, knowing what you know now, <laughs> what would you send yourself? What, and you only get one sentence. It can be a run on sentence, but you can only get one. So sentence. ten years ago, ten years ago. <laughs> so how old would I? I would have been twenty. There you go. Yeah. So what would you, what would your thirty year old? What is your thirty year old self telling your twenty year old self in one sentence? It would have been twenty one. Don't drink the coffee, Dwight. I did that joke. Drink the all the coffee. <laughs> he it's did. A great man. episode.
2: I think, like, for me, um, I've been listening to Brene Brown has uh, a Dare to Lead book, and she talks about in the opening of it, she, before she goes on stage and gives a presentation, she always says to herself, people, people, people. It's this idea behind the fact that people, 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 like, everyone she talks to, these are just people. Like, we get this, like, anxiety about others that they're something other than that. And so, I think for me, that's the sentence I would send. They're just people, people, people. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea behind these big, scary moments when I was thinking, Oh my gosh, what are they thinking? What are they doing? Like, just to calm that place within 21-year-old me that felt the need to please everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, people, people, people. They're just people. I that.
3: So that was right around the time that was, like, probably the year, if not, like, right after, when my dad left for the last time. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to my parents' divorce. I was at college and I kind of like, I failed semesters and it's like a whole thing. So I feel like I would probably just tell myself like, hey, don't take it personally, but Like, your dad's just always going to be a dick. Oh, wait. I can't swear. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) We'll be bad. I always forget. It wasn't that bad of a word for those of you (laughs) listening. There's probably a lot of Christians listening to this. (laughs) It's okay. You can
2: say that and love Jesus. It's okay.
3: Well, (laughs) all right. Well, anyway, so I would probably tell myself, like, don't take it personally. It's not your fault. Your dad will be for – up until now, your dad will probably be a D-bag. So, (laughs) like – just like love them but like it's don't take it personally and yeah. i think that that's what defined a lot of my 20s yeah. so
0: yeah sweet um so what uh family personal hobbies likes dislikes favorite beverage what well, if you could tell anybody mm. anything about you what would you tell them briefly
2: um oh, Um, Well, so I'm married to Ryan (laughs) Lambrose. That's me. Yeah, I usually just get referred to as Ryan's wife, so I love that I got my name inserted in today's podcast. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Um, So, (laughs) all right. We have two boys. We have seven-year-old and five-year-old boys. Um, Hobbies-wise, I, oh, man. Um, We do a lot of stuff with youth. I really enjoy youth. I just like people, anything with Mm. people. And you'd think that with the job that I do, that I'd come home and be like, I want to go crawl into a hole and never speak until I have to come back out. But I love people. That's what so I do. Literally anything. I'm like, oh, let's go having dinner at somebody's house. Let's go out to a movie. Well, actually, movies aren't my favorite because we don't get to talk. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything, anything with people, really, truly. Um, what was the other one? Hobbies, interests, little favorite Likes, beverage.
0: Favorite beverage.
2: Oh man, I love all the people who work at Dutch Brothers. Like seriously, love them. Those lines, though. Those she's lines. Lying. Those lines. She, my so, wife
0: is a star sucks <laughs> lover. It I really like the horrible. the teal
2: recovery from BlackRock for energy drinks, oh, and I like. Now the... she's bringing that <laughs> Stop in.
0: will edit that out. And that's that's I, like I, like I like the
2: I like the SLP from Dutch, and I like uh, hot white mocha from Starbucks. All right. I like beverages and people. You don't discriminate. I don't. No, no. I like I like everyone and everything.
3: <laughs> Tony. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm married. I have two kids: a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, our six-year-old's named Aubrey. Our four-year-old's named Drake. Fun fact: the rapper's biological name <laughs> is Aubrey Drake.
2: No,
0: <laughs> that's amazing.
2: <Was laughs> that <planned?
3: laughs> and we had no idea. That's, you no, that's it's incredible. It's unbelievable. He spells it with like an EY, I think, and we spell it with an IE. Okay, okay. which oh, so basically means good. my daughter's gonna be a slut when she grows up. That's terrible. <laughs> the I, it, was it. Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother Yes, you says if you end your name in an IE, yeah. there are more than terrible. likely to be
2: Terrible. <laughs> We're getting that legally changed. I'm going to help your wife out with
3: that. <laughs> uh, but no, that's, uh, didn't know that, uh, but it happened. Um, and I think it's pretty cool uh, that we we named our kids after a rapper um, who was on uh, like Nickelodeon, wasn't he or something? Like wasn't he on like a team. Drake was? Yeah, Drake first got his oh Degrassi. He was on Degrassi. That's where he got his that's where he got his start. (laughs) God, Um, that
4: is
0: so old. But
3: uh anyway, uh so what else? Uh I'm m what what else? Yeah, I'm a musician. Um I love to play music. It's like the one thing that makes me feel most alive is playing live music. Um I um, also love sports. I love hockey and football. I will start be starting ice skating lessons in March. Ooh. I'm sorry, what? My goal is to actually learn how to play hockey this year. That's right. so. Awesome. I will be learning how to ice skate, and then so um, I would
0: start with like roller hockey, like roller.
2: No, it's roller totally derby. different. Those roller are not derby. comparable. No, that is cool. Yeah, That's I gotta
3: gotta do, the ice gotta do the ice skating, and then my okay. favorite drinks are I love uh, coffee. Um, and then I also love McDonald's sweet tea. Really?
2: You do have really good sweet tea. Yeah. And
3: then, um, a really, really good single malt scotch whiskey. All right. Wait, any I, in particular? Um, I don't have like a favorite brand. My, my thing is, is that if it's, if it's a really good, um, scotch whiskey, I feel like, uh, you're, you're cutting it close if it's been aged 12 years, but I prefer like 15, 18, Literally years. what is
2: 16 year. Right now, people know this? Have, yeah. you, had, this
3: have you had
1: Lagavulin?
3: Uh, no. Well I, well, I have had it, as, as the fact that I am Ron Swanson. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I have, but I, it's also like $400 for like a glass of it. So I... Um, 27 but i mean, yeah.
0: who's I, who's I only bring Pat so out here just You
2: uh, $27 worth of... It no, is. I bought my
1: dad a bottle oh. for like Christmas two years ago, and it was like a special occasion. Like any special occasion we had we'd go out on the back patio and pour a glass each but oh, well, occasionally if know, i'm that like
4: special. like when that's we special
1: were in pattern. portland we were at a super fancy like hotel bar that my wife loves and so i was like you know what i'm going to going to have myself a glass of lagavulin and it so cool when you Fun order fact it. the white rabbit speakeasy and gilbert if it's in stock oh, then, they have you. lagavulin for like 13 bucks wow
2: nice yeah so that's happening
3: yeah like uh uh, Glenn Levitt, all those kinds of, they're all, it's all good. I just, for me, like 12 years is like the cutoff. Right. Like it's, it has to it's, be, it's noticeable. For, okay. It's noticeably different. You can different. tell the difference. Yes. Oh yeah.
0: Sweet. On that note, talking about alcohol, <coughs> <laughs> just kidding.
2: Back to youth. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, no, that's great. Um, all right, start off with basic because uh, we probably have a, a wide range of people listening um, and many probably either don't know or, or probably have an incorrect, might have an incorrect understanding or definition of. Um, but what is counseling? What is therapy? Um, what is mental health? It, you know, it, I think those words are thrown out a lot. Um, but how would you just kind of simply describe, define, counseling is or therapy is? Or mental health issues are, how would you guys define that? Mm. We can tag team this, yeah. I
1: suppose.
3: Yeah. Um, I always ask my clients this question. Mm. I always stop in my informed consent and I go, What do you what do you think counseling is? Like what do you what do you expect from me? What do you want out of this process? And the a- answers always range and then I always clarify at the end like what they're gonna get with me and from me. Um, so that they're aware and I like I feel like counseling if I had to sum it up in one word which counseling is one word so another (laughs) word another word (laughs) Um, I feel like I would I would use the word advocate Um, just someone who's an advocate for you um, despite the decisions they've made decisions that they will make based on coming to counseling even if the therapist doesn't agree with it. Um, you know, people always say, well, what do you think? You know, do you think it's okay if I am if I do this or do that? And it's always like, well, why does my opinion matter? You know, this is your life. So um, someone who's an advocate who's going to um, use that, um, help them feel loved, valued, and heard at a minimum, and then also provide skills, um, either develop skills or strengthen uh, skills they already have to help them process through or manage whatever symptoms and stuff that they have um that they're working through um so yeah so i would say it's like skill building strengthening sharpening Mm -hmm. advocacy yeah
2: Yeah. i mean i think that just to add to that i would probably you know say that empathetically i hold a space that's what i just tell people is like i'm just here to hold the space Mm -hmm. for you to speak and share openly the loneliness that I think happens with mental health where people, even if you have an amazing friend or an amazing family member who cares for you and wants to hear you, they still only give you so much time and then they're uncomfortable with it and they wanna change the subject or they wanna fix it or they don't know what to do with it and so they, you know, any number of responses and so I think it's just giving someone the space to share whatever they need to share, loving them, and and guiding them, normalizing, like, hey, you're not alone in this, because a lot of people come in and say, like, I'm crazy, I'm doing this, and I was like, good, then I've seen, I've seen 10 crazy people today, <laughs> like, who are all suffering with the same thing, and they're very normal people, like, throughout their, you know, lives, too, so just normalizing the fact that, like, we all go through these things, it's just whether you're coming in for help for them or not, you know what I mean, we all can relate to, I think, those places when people come in and, you know what I mean, experience that stuff, so just holding this space while people process through that, and what Tony said the skills and walking through whatever they're needing to walk through
0: sure yeah so what what is who uh, based on those definitions who would you say needs counseling who and when and it could be I mean I'm not trying to set up a trick question <laughs> who does like everybody but like but based on those on those it it would sound like the natural answer would be everybody does everybody right. I mean I want an advocate I yeah. want a space. I want a that. Sure, feel, yeah, that all sounds that. nice. <laughs> but, um, but on the flip side, it also is like, so wait, so you pay thousands no, of dollars to be yeah. an advocate? Like Then
2: that's the thing. There are some people that come to see me that I'm saying that you just need a friend. You just mm. need a community. You just mm. need. And some of them, that's what they're there for, is for me to reiterate, like, you can do this, to give them the skills to even make friends, to mm-hmm. give them the skills to find community. To Because a lot of them, it is, its is. They're just needing somebody to do life with. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed a lot of my teens, it's that. And so it's really just getting them to understand whatever it is that's blocking them from doing that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And mm-hmm. I think um, when you say everyone, the, the hard part is the people who very obviously need it, where people are like, oh, yeah, they've, they have to go inpatient, or they have to go, you know, it's definitely, we're finding them a therapist, and it's this frantic, quick, quick, can we get them in. By then, it's 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 not that it's too late, but it's like, oh my gosh, if you would have just taken a look at this earlier, it's so much less severe, and we can get it worked on. You know what I mean? But usually, when people come into me, anyway, they're at the end of their their means. They are at the end of we've tried everything else, so now we're trying you, and it's it's this feeling that like you're a last resort kind of a thing. When in reality, if it if it, it could even be preventative care, you know what I mean? Um, to have that because a lot of people don't have great community and great safe places to share that kind of stuff with. So.
3: Yeah, and I have a client right now who is he's you know, he he's he's in a senior in high school and he defines himself as A M and everyone else is FM. Hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And he just That's he can't definition. make friends, he can't get connection with people, and he just feels like he's just on a totally different Wavelength than everyone else. And then you have people who just like can't sleep because like they're just so anxious and panic attacks. And sure, so it depends. So it's like yeah, I mean theoretically everyone could use counseling, but I think it really comes down to what season are you in. Um, how much money do you have? Sure, and there's a
2: difference between needing like yeah. counseling and needing a friend, right? Yeah. Like there's a difference there. Because I everybody mean, can use a friend. There, is a the of, there is a lot of
3: there is <laughs> a lot of stuff that you can do over coffee with some friends yeah. or with a pastor or with a mentor, which I do. You know, I meet with a mentor once a month, and you could say that that's like a form of counseling. Sure. But yeah. There are some things, so I don't, I don't necessarily know that everybody needs counseling in every season. Hmm. I would say everyone probably needs counseling at some point, but mm-hmm. it just depends on the season you're in. Sure and how much so some people might need to come like every week for a while but then they might need to pop in once or twice a year after that you know kind of just just, depends on the season
2: even as therapists we're encouraged to be in therapy ourselves right like because inevitably things will come up right even us like we we have all this knowledge we know what to do but then have a hard time applying it sometimes so we're encouraged ourselves even to see someone for good self-care
1: yeah well yeah i mean it's similar to you know the facade that pastors don't right, need pastors. Exactly. You know, like you're, pastors need pastors. It's easy to isolate yourself yeah. when you're supposed to be the
3: one that mm-hmm. helps. So mm-hmm. Right, for and sure. And they always say that therapists are the crazy ones.
2: Well, really and truly, why do you think we got into this field?
0: Sure. <laughs> We're nuts. I'm married to one. Um, How dare you? So, so specific and why why you guys are here. Um one, you both you both counsel teens, you both are passionate about helping teens. Um, youth in this next generation coming up um, something that, that Pat and I have noticed as we interact uh, at, at some level with with youth <clears throat> is there's just a there's become a more heightened um, awareness with mm-hmm. youth of mental health and I mean you start to see Netflix shows uh, addressing the issues of suicide and bullying and I think with the the mass increase of technology and now even bullying, um, not face-to-face, but through cyberbullying, um, youth are just becoming heightened to a lot more mental health issues, um, as is the world. Um, what kinds of things do you are you seeing youth primarily struggle with the most that need counseling? So if you've got a kid listening to this podcast right now, mm-hmm. um, kind of the average teenager, Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what are you guys seeing? Maybe not, maybe not even a client, but some just in general. A
2: theme of
0: teens are are struggling with this and that is driving them to really I seek can, out help. I can start yeah. it, um, and then you can jump
3: in, sure. I guess. So I feel like I'll just start with my own theory that I don't, I haven't like scientifically proven or anything, but so it doesn't um, count. It, does, it doesn't count technically, <laughs> but I would say. Um, I have a full caseload, and um, at this point, I think I added it up before I came here, I want to say it's like, is it 85% of my caseload is ages between, like, 11 and 25. Hmm. So Hmm. it's most of my caseload. So there's a lot there. It's pretty nuts. So um, one of the things that I've noticed um, as to, you know, what's causing such a heightened, um, you know, awareness um, within this or, like, triggering this in these kids um it really is uh obviously you you can throw out the word technology so you can throw all that you can throw that out they're dealing with so much so much input that they're they don't have the ability to regulate the output quick enough Hmm. or better so um when I was a teenager my input was pretty simple it was what I watched on MTV what I what records I put on Listen to um, if it was Nirvana or whatever, whatever he was saying. You know, Kirk Cobain or um, what friends I was hanging out with when I got on my BMX bike and rode down to the park, and that was like my input. That mm-hmm. is what I brought in, um, and so what I was able to, how I was able to output that was based on how much I was putting in. So these kids are coming, they're inputting so much content
4: mm-hmm.
3: and information all day, every day. And they don't have the regulation skills Correct. to know how to output it correctly. Mm. And one of the one of the issues within that, and my theory is this: it's the inability to be bored mm. is a huge part of yeah. mental health and constant stimulation. Yeah, the reason why is because like when I was younger, it was very much like, "Hey, um, you got to find something to do." Well, now, um, so instead of recycling that into something productive or recycling that into an innovative idea or building a bike jump or something like that um, out of bricks and plywood, you know, now kids go. The moment they feel bored, they can use their phone. They can go to video games. There's a Froyo shop on every corner within a mile. You know, they can, there's always something to do. And so they don't. the idea that they don't actually have the space to sit and actually be bored means that they don't have the ability to process through <clears throat> feelings that come through boredom mm. and just sitting there trying to figure out how you feel, what you want to do. Yeah. So because of that, they have a really low window of tolerance, mm. which means that the smallest little things get them. And I had a 13-year-old client come in to see me, absolutely distraught over the Kavanaugh hearing. And I'm going, what 13-year-old apps I don't even know what the Supreme Court was. I thought if you told me Supreme Court, I thought that was a type of taco at Taco Bell when I was 13. So yes. like
0: burrito supreme, let's go. Yeah, so like and this
3: 13 year old comes in and is just absolutely distraught. So um, I think all that information overload, they just don't know how to output it and and it just kind of they get overcontained, sure. low window tolerance. And I think this inability to be bored leads to a lot of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a good point. I haven't heard it phrased that way, but yeah, for sure. I definitely see components of that when I see youth. Um, I've noticed a lot of the youth or teens that I do see, anxiety is is a very, very high one. It's either pretty severe depression and they're completely flat and numb or panic, chronic anxiety, just overwhelmed Um and or sexuality issues. I have a ton of teens who are seeking, you know, pansexuality. Four or five of them right now that I actually see who are identified as pan, and you know, kind of understanding what that is, and their parents finding out about it, and working together with that. Um, I've noticed though that for me, um, kind of to, to talk about what Tony was talking about, I theory wise, I think it kind of goes back to attachment from what I've noticed, um, which plays into the whole boredom thing. They're feeling, you know, unattached. But here's the problem is they are the most connected, disconnected generation. You know what I mean? They're very, they can have a thousand friends on Facebook and none of them know, you know what I mean, each other really well. And so it's this idea behind, I don't think any of them really feel attached at all you know what i mean and so um, that's what i think they're constantly seeking and they're never getting so i think the anxiety is this panic you know behind feeling overwhelmed not not having any grounding the depression is feeling completely alone not having any attachment the you know the, even the sexuality stuff some of them absolutely like they have done their research they really have kind of done some you know soul searching and they really do you know kind of identify but i do have a handful of them it's like 50/50 where it's just like that's what they're grasping for because of the attachment that it brings with others and the identity that it gives so that's kind of what I've noticed a lot of them coming in with those kinds of issues
0: yeah so so what do you get what do you do um what what are what are solutions that you walk I'm obviously not I'm not asking for a counseling session but
2: there's time for that later I, yeah. <laughs>
0: um but like what how what are things the average teenager the average youth can what hope do they have you know like I, I'm in the middle of reading a book right now and it's technology's not going away and it's not getting uh, worse in the sense of um, it's a deteriorating thing that will just fade out in the next 10, 15 years. It's, it's, gonna, progress. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's gonna progress. Around. Yeah, it's gonna progress and get more integrative and more self-driving cars so that we can be on our phones safely while we're driving, like that That kind of progression. So what are things that you are offering youth? What are things that youth can do mm. Um, to help that with the attachment, we are so starved. We yeah, we were just talking this morning, Pat and I. Um, we don't have front porches anymore. We have back porches. Mm. We we're privatized. We yeah. pull into our garages and we're and we're oh, yeah. we're done. You know, like Definitely. so, like what do we? Um, what kind of hope can you give youth that are in the middle of it? They're like they can address it. Like yes, I agree with you, but that's my world. Right. <laughs> that's my life. What what do you do?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, hope wise, I d I, I don't think technology is not the bad guy, right? Like that's just what is the newest, you know, mask that the you know that we're trying to blame. Um, really and truly it's our um refusal to be vulnerable, I think is what it is. And we've always found ways of numbing that or separating that in, in any generation. It's always something different. You know what I mean? This generation is just technology. Um and I think it is it's more widespread. This, this technology is huge. It's, it's, it is bigger in the sense of it touches a lot of our lives versus some of those other things that, that were used were not as prevalent. So, um, I mean, hope-wise, I think what I notice when a lot of kids come in to see me is just human interaction. Hmm. Most of them have, like my anxiety, my anxiety kids, they have anxiety because they don't know how to talk to people. Hmm. They prefer to text their friends rather than go hang out with them. They prefer to, you know what I mean, do all of this stuff via phone or via social media rather than in person. And they panic when they do in person. They don't even know how to read each other's body language, you know, stuff like that. So I've noticed tremendous amounts of hope in just getting face-to-face contact and, and even like, hugs and telling them like you're doing great they're they're just like blown away i had a client the other day who you know i was telling her i said that feeling she goes well i have to be able to have my phone after nine her mom told her you know like you're done at 9 p.m well that's when everybody talks that's when the good conversations are had and i said i'm I'm, like thinking in my mind like what does that mean and and she's like no not like that she's like people deeply talk at that point Mm. she's like people will call me and talk to me for two hours and it's deep stuff it's not just the like hey what are you doing it's like let me bare my soul to you and they deeply desire that and i said well where, you know, you long for that. When do you feel that? You know, who else do you feel that mm. feeling with? And she was like, with you, you know, in here. And I was like, that's exactly, we don't take the time to focus and just give direct attention like that um, within that attachment, I think, to each other anymore. It's mm. very, even if somebody says, hey, I'm, I I care for you, praying for you, thinking about you, like via text, it is very different than if someone looks at you and says, I see you, I hear you. I'm, right. You know what I mean? The vulnerability and, and just human interaction. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, that. I don't yeah. think that answers the hope per se that you no, were saying, no, but um, th- there's always going to be human interaction. Until we decide that we're going full-blown virtual reality, lock yourself in the closet and hook up to a screen 24-7, yeah. there's always that. And I think that hope gets found when they do that. I've noticed they do that and they desire more of it and that cycle kind of continues for them. Hmm.
3: Yeah. Um, I think the other thing, it's easy to just blame technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like you know the, the one good thing about being a clinician is understanding like neuroplasticity yeah. and understanding how the brains work the brain which means yeah. that it doesn't scare me because i know how adaptive the human brain is yeah which means that it's going to be okay right. like We're you know what i mean it's it going to be fine <laughs> right. but the issue is is i tell parents uh, this all the time i go god bless you cuz you are in the like you are literally um, trailblazing the mm-hmm. west right now like, but with technology, you know, mm-hmm. when they were m- making their way from the East Coast to the West Coast yeah. and settling, they were dealing with all that trial and struggle and mm-hmm. people dying and trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. Um, I've played the Oregon Trail before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just and so, gets you every time. And so it's the exact same thing. We are now, this is the first generation that has experienced unlimited, unfiltered, instant streaming, mm-hmm. internet right. everywhere, kind of like idea. And so, so these parents don't understand and and rightfully so, I mean, sure. they, who would, and don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell them like, God bless you because you're figuring this out. I'm not going to probably have to deal with this when my six-year-old is 16. And so... um these uh so it's right now we're just in like this weird phase mm-hmm. where like when we were when we were teenagers you know our issue was PlayStation 2 you know but now they I didn't even know that you can't buy you don't really buy games anymore right. on discs right. like you just download them yep. you know what I mean so it's like yeah. Um, So anyway, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be okay. I just think we're in this weird Wild West trailblazing Mm. season Mm -hmm. as a culture where parents are freaking out because they're like what what do I do? Like, there's no way to, like, monitor things. Like, they'll ground their kids from Snapchat, but then their kids will, like, download the app and then delete it real quick. Mm. And then, like, <laughs> when they give their phone back, and there's, like, no way to know or track that. And, like, so they, they can't really truly even punish these kids or, like, discipline them in ways. And so, um, you know, I use, like... My, my biggest thing is, like, uh, s- solutions-wise is just working on trying to build that window of tolerance. Mm. So... When you – you, when you're not exposed to a lot, in other words, like social rejection, like being out there and like talking with people and analyzing eye contact and body language and like socializing like that, you're, you don't have a high window of tolerance to deal with those types of things. When
2: they come along. Yeah, right.
3: so – when these kids don't know how to be bored or deal with their feelings, one of the things I like to do is try to like really expand them and make them sit with their emotions in a way that they're not used to. So right. I do a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of I do like clay, art. I do yeah. art drawing, um, music, guided meditation, some things like right. that that make them really uncomfortable really uncomfortable and they get Tony just, tortures patients they Come get on like guys. super annoyed with me sometimes <laughs> but I'm like trust me like I'm gonna make you sit here for 25 minutes and do this mm. And they're like, "Are you serious?" You know, and then at the end, it's like something profound and really cool. Yeah. Um, and so I do a lot of that. And then the other thing too is um, apathy, right? So we talk about like the numbing and like the apathy and like just this, this like not feeling and depression. And the thing that I realized, um, I started looking into apathy studies because I was like, I have so many clients, mm-hmm. and I want to know more about this. Mm. Um, found a study that was out there where they hooked, they tracked brain activity with apathetic people and motivated people accomplishing the same activities. Mm. And what they found was those people who were apathetic actually registered more brain activity oh, than wow. people who were motivated. And what that shows is that it's just the sense that they actually people who are apathetic generally care a whole lot about the to thing. It out. They yeah. just they mm. just almost like exhaust themselves inside their brain first. Before and then they just it's like down. the yeah. idea of all the possibilities that they're not they haven't either experienced don't know how to handle and they just kind of like give up wow. and right. so they just kind of go like i don't i don't know so i just i don't i don't even want to go i don't even care it's too well much, yeah. you do care you just think you don't care because you've thought through every possible thought scenario bad yeah. situation and everything and it's just kind of has caused you to kind of plummet And so right. your window of tolerance is so little right. that just even thinking about doing something um actually drives them toward numbness and like i'd rather just not yeah. <laughs> they've
2: done a lot of research too like on judges and like if you get a judge at the beginning of the day versus the end of the day, how the decision-making process goes because we get exhausted with how many choices we have to make. You think mm. about how many choices you make just waking up in the first hour of your day. Mm. You have to decide, do I pee first? Do I go in the shower? Do I get wear this or do I wear that? Am I going to... You know what I mean? It's just so many decisions literally all day long that you're having to make. And if you think of a teen who has access to technology, mm. that's so many more choices. Yeah. It's just overwhelming with the, yeah, with the brain.
0: Um, to... to go off of just what you said with um, the ability to be vulnerable and then um, with both of you talking through just like personal interaction (laughs) um, even being um, aware of even what's going on in your own mind um, uh, that transitions and plays into um, when trauma happens um, that is completely and totally sabotaged Um, can you guys go into because I think I'm not. I'm not licensed, but I would say that this generation is the most traumatized generation that we've seen. I don't know. That could be off, but trauma is everywhere, and I think maybe they're not the most traumatized, but maybe they're. I'm um, experiencing trauma in ways that the way we have never seen before. Maybe that might be accurate, but you guys are the professionals. Correct me. To I don't it. know. Um, but like, what is trauma? And um, what are the main kind of types of trauma that you're seeing, youth? Suffer from or incur. Yeah.
2: Today. I think. Um, I'll start this one. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I think um, to to speak on like the whole traumatized thing. You think of like World War Two generation, or you think you know what I mean? Like I would I would argue when you think of trauma, you know what I mean? People and when and when you define trauma, you know people assume it's like this horrific, like these really bad like sexual abuse, uh, you know, physical abuse, really really horrific, you know disasters or catastrophes. And um, trauma is is very, very widespread. It has a very broad um, definition, really and truly. And so while I would argue that this generation probably has... Um, less of the catastrophizing just because of like think about it like in the medical world for example people are living longer than they ever have before so instead of you know you, you look back like 56 years ago a lot more people died that's a lot more trauma for kids whose parents were gone or who you know what I mean or you think of like we were in wartime and war was coming here you know what I mean that's very traumatic first so I don't think there's as many maybe of those but we have things like school shootings and different things like that but what I would argue is I think there is a lot more of the emotional The emotional trauma that occurs, um, again, like there's so much more access. So now instead of, you know, Timmy going to school and being bullied at school and getting to come home and have a safe place, now he goes to school, gets bullied, and comes home and they're bullying him via the internet or something like that. So it's just constant, I think, um, and their access to technology, even what they watch on TV and what they, you know what I mean, can be constantly triggering for that stuff. So, I mean, that's just what I've noticed, yeah.
3: Yeah, it depends how you define trauma and what you think it is. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You go, is this the most traumatized generation? Right. Probably because it depends how you define trauma. And there's two words. That's not like the only way to define it, but it's an easy, simple way to understand trauma. It's neuropathways disrupted, mm-hmm. which means there's a neuropathway in your brain that says point A equals point B. And somewhere along the way that gets disrupted into a new thing, right? That says, um, you know, uh, mom equals somebody i can trust and then over the course of time whether through experiences that gets disrupted and now your brain tells you that mom actually equals someone you can't rely on so that's a that's a source of trauma so there's there's th- so it's just neuropathways disrupted and with as much information as these kids are getting nowadays um, their neuropathways are always <laughs> being disrupted mm-hmm. and always being restrung and directed in different ways. Right. So would, would you call that trauma? Yeah. Um, the What Jessica was speaking to is the three main types of trauma, which is there's overt trauma, mm-hmm. which is the big blunt things. Right. I saw war. I saw combat while I was over in Afghanistan, or I was at the Las Vegas shooting, or I was sexually or physically abused, right. um, those types of big, blunt, I was in a massive car accident, those types right, of traumas. very obvious ones. Then there's covert trauma, which is sort of like under the radar, sneaky traumas that just come out of nowhere. And you're just kind of like, oh, geez, um, like, where did this come from? And then there's developmental trauma, which is more gradual. It's sort of like, it's sort of like consistent with time. Mm -hmm. But covert and developmental kind of go together because a lot of the under radar things are sort of gradual with time, that emotionally distant parent that, you know, um, over the course of seven years as, you know, in elementary, middle school, you come to realize like, okay, uh, this is no longer a person I can rely on. Mm which is a source of developmental and covert trauma, kind of just comes under the radar. So that's sort of what trauma is, which then trauma, because of that, um, because those neuropathways get disrupted, that triggers your survival parts, which basically just says like, hey, it's, I'm going to shut your prefrontal cortex off, right? Um, because <laughs> yeah, because you're you're not we're not we're not safe. We're not going to waste mm-hmm. our time trying to analyze is there danger? Is this is this a safe place? Because based on our neuropathways, pathways, the uh, experiences um, we've already established that more than likely this is a dangerous situation. We're not mm-hmm. safe for you. So essentially, when you get triggered, your brain goes, "Don't think you're not safe. Survive." So when that happens, that's when you go into your fight, flight, freeze, collapse, and attach, and you kind of go into the survival modes, and you're not thinking rationally because your brain's not operating, you know, optimally, and so it's just, it is, it's just neuropathways disrupted that just, and it is what she said, It's, it's either the big blunt ones or it's the small accumulated ones. Right. The sneaky ones. Yeah.
2: And I think we've, like, they try and be more protective with the overt, you know what I mean? Nowadays, like, you
0: Yeah, know, I mean, that gets all have the attention. We have more
2: policies in place. We have more, sure. you know what I mean? Medical attention. We have more, et cetera, et cetera, but constant, the the covert, hmm. you know, stuff, So you
0: know. then, so what, what can you, what What should youth do with their trauma? Um, can you guys kind of go through, like, here's, <laughs> here's, Person A who deals with their trauma and it leads to a more traumatic or destructive behavior or path. Here's person B, they engage or deal with their trauma in this way and it leads to right. help or yeah. better or whatever. Um, or if there's more essentially, you, you just described these different types of trauma. What are the pathways that youth can can take to deal with that kind of trauma?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, we yeah, that we would kind of call those unhealthy coping skills or healthy coping. Yeah, like, what kind yeah. of options do you? Yeah, yeah healthy I mean, and unhealthy. Right, pathways to take. And I mean, unhealthy or healthy, you think of, like Tony just mentioned, that fight, flight, free, submit, attach. These are all coping strategies that your brain comes up with to help in those moments. So they're not right or wrong or good or bad, it's whatever your brain thinks it needs to survive. So for those of us who desperately need that attachment, for example, in that, that neural pathway was disrupted and ruined, we will seek that attachment in whatever way we need to do to get it met, right? Like, so it's not bad. Like, oh, naughty, you're trying to seek attachment. But the ways that we go about that can be very destructive in nature. So instead of me saying, you know what, I'm going to seek healthy, safe people to attach to, which would be a version of maybe healthy, um, I'm going to seek any attention I can get, the quickest, the easiest, instant gratification, which happens to come from that boy over there in that way. And it's, you know, only sexual, but whatever, it's enough for me because I need it. You know what I mean? So unhealthy and healthy is really... um, I think it's a personal definition. For some of us, they would say, you know, this isn't, or some of us would say, yeah, this is healthy. And, you know, so it just, I don't think it's a right or wrong thing as much as it's a understanding, you know, is this costing me something? So, for example, in that in that moment, I have people who... Um, have really bad attachment trauma, you know, they, they were sexually abused. So now nothing sexual and nothing at all, nothing. I'm closing it off to everything. They will not get in any kind of a relationship. They're terrified, you know, and it's like, oh, well maybe that's healthy, right? Like that. some people think like, oh, okay, well you're keeping yourself safe. You're not going to get hurt again. But I would argue like we were built and created for that. You need to have that. And so, um, you know, and that's honestly what we do a lot of times. When you think of like, how are we going to walk through those paths of trauma? Um, and I think the other part is is shame. Honestly, I think trauma creates shame. Um, And it can be in the form of toxic shame or regular shame. You know, we talk about the idea behind um, what was given to us, the idea that when someone hurts you or harms you with trauma, um, they are perpetuating shame that they're handing to you, right? And that's that toxic shame that says, I'm not good enough. I am unworthy. I am, you know what I mean? And that gets put on by others um, when they create pain to us. And then we perpetuate sometimes our own shame, which wouldn't be toxic shame, just I'm perpetuating it, right? I'm, I'm choosing these unhealthy behaviors out of this place of pain. And that, you know, and that gets mixed and bled together. And then things that I need to own that I'm like, oh, that was a bad choice. But I also think that thing that was done to me that wasn't my fault, I also think that's my fault Mm. and my choice. Right. And so like, it's, it's kind of helping clients untangle what trauma has handed to them and what they've perpetuated out of that so that they can own what they need to own and hand back what they don't, what isn't theirs.
0: So so what you're saying is the, the responses to the trauma, it's, it's not a right, wrong, so the fight, flight,
2: Freeze too. Freeze yeah. collapse attack. Right. So
0: those those are those are the natural responses to trauma. It's what you then do in those responses that yeah. can lead to the difference
3: is are those survival parts running the show? Right. Mm. And if they're running the show, right. you're not regulated, you're not healthy. Um, because listen, you can be in your normal part. And you can see, you know, a jackass yeah. driver, sorry, you can see a, a jerk driver driving down the road and he can cut you off and you can kind of flip him off and be like, you Screw know, you. Yeah. You idiot, you know, yeah. and then 30 seconds later, you're fine. That's a real quick baseline and you have Regulation. an emotional burst and you come back down to reality um you're going to have those moments that just means you're quick more quickly regulated and mm. it's not running the show you're going to have that quick fight response and then you're back to baseline right. but when you're when you're triggered into trauma you kind of get in that fight or that avoidance or flight you get into that freeze or that give up surrender collapse or that attach and you just they start running the show mm. and that's really that's really where the problem is i right. i experienced a lot of sexual trauma when i was mm-hmm. younger And I feel like given the type of trauma that I I went through, I'm still, for the most part, quite regulated given my circumstances. Mm. Um, But kids nowadays, they have an AP test and they have panic attacks. Mm. No one was having panic attacks over AP exams when I was in high school. Right. Which which just goes to show the types of stuff that are triggering these kids nowadays. And so what can you do with the trauma – rewire those Mm neuropathways you can rewire that's what emdr does that's the point of emdr but it's not just emdr like you can do this is why taxi drivers can drive around new york city and have they don't even need maps because they just they've wired a Mm neuropathway to say like i know exactly where i'm going right they put two people in a room and they give one guy a ball and the other guy no ball and there's a hoop and a free free throw line. And they say once you'd increase your free throw percentage in a given amount of time, this is a real study. Mm. And they came out and both of the guys had increased at the same percentage. You're just rewiring a neural pathway. The guy didn't even need a ball to do it. He mm. could just he could just visualize it. And so with these kids, it's just learning how to sit and build that window of tolerance sit with the thing that is triggering you into your hyper arousal or your hypo arousal mm-hmm. and build that window of tolerance. And so that's why exp- expanding yourself and s- learning how to sit with emotions, right? It's like start a journal, right? Get a scribble pad and just, Processing, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. just like, you don't even have to draw anything. Just like scribble your emotions on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. g- you know, write a journal, you know, write lyrics, you know, um, you know, get, Get colored pencils and draw. Get a punching bag. Um, throw ice chips because it sounds like broken glass, mm-hmm. and it mm. sounds it's really oddly satisfying. <laughs> You're not hurting Tommy's anybody. Favorite thing to do. Get a wiffle ball. <laughs> get that. a wiffle ball bat and go beat the crap out of your bed. Like learn how to like learn how to be with emotions and like mm. let them out i think people get angry and they're like i shouldn't be angry right. you can be Emotional angry just how quickly numbing. are you going to regulate <laughs> right. back to right. baseball right like you can be angry just take a football bat beat the crap out of your bed you're not hurting anyone or anything and then be done with it right um and i think that's where a lot of kids struggle because they're like well i shouldn't be anxious at all bigger well,
2: emotions are scary they'd rather yeah. be numb <laughs> yeah. yeah so they just get numb yeah.
3: so yeah i would just like rewire a neural pathway by learning how to do things so just sure. do more things and your brain will start to associate like oh i can just do this I Go hit the punching bag for 30 minutes. Yeah, it's just normalizing. It's
2: okay. Again, it's not a right or wrong. It's a this is what's yeah. happening. The knowledge behind even. This is what's happening. Let's ground it. So instead of your strong fight response, you're angry, I'm going to go off and and be irate, you're wanting to have a voice. You need to be assertive. Mm. Let's ground that into a more effective form of, you know, so it's not costing you something. So is it unhealthy? No. Your fight response is there for a reason. You're scared and you're angry and you're hurt. And so it's more so channeling that into a much more grounded version and using it to help you Mm. rather than sometimes cost you things.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Did You have anything? You look like you wanted to say something.
1: Well, no. It's funny because I think um, if if I'm putting myself as, like in the position of you know, I mean, I guess I I, I am an average person, like not no. really. No. You're, you're above average. Pack. <laughs> Don't tell yourself short. Yeah, but but. What, what, I don't, you know. It's like you know, I took a couple psychology classes in college, and that's my own. That's that's the only background I have, the only knowledge I have of that. And so, when I think of like what you were saying about um, um, about, you know, letting those emotions out. So something like, you know, uh, like I to me, the scribble pad seems like oh yeah, that's a good way to let out emotion. Taking a wiffle ball bat to your bed. That seems like a bad way to let out emotion, yeah. right? And but so, it's but it's normalizing anger. And that's yeah. Yeah, and, that, and see, that's I yeah. think there is because even in my own head I'm like, if I were like, like if my if I was a kid again and my sister was in the room next door and I heard her beating the crap out of her bed with a <laughs> wiffle ball bat, I would be think scared. I she, think she's crazy. I think right? she's yeah. crazy.
2: Well, that's yeah. a way of regulating. It's a step down from you know. Yeah, would <laughs> you rather her feeding. hit
1: you. Right. And, 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 and see that's <laughs> but I think I think that's a, something that has been trained into us is right. that because mm. see that's exactly what the point Ain't is bad. yeah Yeah, like mm. yeah of course i don't want her to hit me she should just never
2: you're not allowed to be angry. she should just never be angry Shut she it down. should never let <laughs> yeah. it out right
1: rather than yeah. like what you're saying having a
3: healthy place to Validating let your emotion be mm-hmm. experienced which is which is why people result in physical violence because mm they're over-contained, they are overcontained. they do not have a healthy place to put it, they've never been taught that you can actually experience anger in a healthy way, and so they just they get overcontained and then right. they blow up, and then that's when they hit people and get in bar fights and do different things. Well, listen, if you're, if you're really angry and you take some ice chips and you go out in the back patio and you start chucking them at your back wall, um, it sounds like broken glass. I mean, think about it. How many times do you feel like punching someone in the face? Quite frequently, more, frequently. Are, more than you, anger. Anger. More than you if would, if right? Admit. But no, what what you know, prevents you from not we punching that youth, person I mean. in the <laughs> face, right? <laughs> so what prevents you from it is your ability to contain that emotion yeah. Yeah. so then but. eventually you're going to be over contained and you're not going to like a cup you're not going to be able to f- put right. any more containment <laughs> you're not going to have be able to do that yeah. anymore so then you just yeah. you over, you blow up you overflow and that's when you actually punch someone in the face well if you take a yeah. wiffle ball bat to your bed you're letting that emotion out like yeah. it's okay to like want to like swing a bat and, <laughs> and that's mat- a
2: physical way of doing <laughs> it i think there's lots <laughs> of different ways i have a lot of clients who they get so angry but they have been taught shut it down. There is no room for you to have a voice here it's, it's like i've noticed a lot of my angry fight clients it's it's the voice they have no voice they have mm. no say so they don't get to have an opinion yeah and so they they get angry because that's not we are designed to have a say so right yeah, like and
3: i just it's just yeah i always tell clients as long as it doesn't affect or impact anyone else in your house or anyone else you're in a relationship with or hurt anybody else so even screaming they're like well can i scream You go totally you can scream scream in a pillow though because now you're affecting everyone else in your house that can hear you, sure. and your neighbors right. can hear you. It's kind of disruptive. And so as long as as long as long you're putting that in a safe place, like if you can scream in a way that's not disrupting everyone else around you, like just scream in a pillow, you know, and it'll be okay.
4: Mm. Try it next but time. But Jess, Jess
3: is right. Like the shame is a hu- the hugest part, like learning what to do with your shame. And it's because shame is identity shaping, mm-hmm. 100%. Yes. The difference between shame and guilt. It's okay to feel like a disappointment, but it's not okay to say, I am a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you feel like a disappointment, that can fade. That'll go away. You can do whatever. And it so fell. it's learning how to get that anger out where these right. kids go, well, if I feel this emotion, then I must be X, Y, Z. Right, right.
2: Like, well,
0: that's not true. No, just- so,
2: and trauma, trauma sows in those lies. Negative belief systems are created out of trauma, so.
0: Yeah. Um, so obviously young people uh living with parents or parent figures um it's it's just been interesting to watch I <clears throat> you know just we've talked about this a lot too mm-hmm. um and we were talking before this of just you know you guys can do such so such amazing work with young young people um but then they're going home mm-hmm. um and oftentimes maybe not often, but there are times when um, parents are, uh, just don't get it. Um, and it, for whatever reason, they're maybe be scared. They just don't understand. But it seems like <clears throat> there is a taboo <laughs> on the whole mental health world from parents. Like parents just don't want to like admit like their kid might have trauma or need mental health, like <laughs> work. They might need therapy. They might need medication. Um, and there's just a, a taboo on it from, an older generation why I mean I mean like it's not like this stuff is secret <laughs> you got a kid that struggles with this and you put them on some medication that helps like they're a totally different person it really helps them regulate or they go see a therapist and they make leaps and bounds progress in handling situations or recovering from trauma and yet a lot of parents still just are so scared of the counselor the therapist yeah. like why um.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say. So you just said they're scared. I think that's what it is. I don't think it's. Uh, there are a handful I have seen that are very invalidating, um, especially within like the church world. I have a lot of parents who are just like, well, they just they just need more Jesus, and it's like, well, yeah, they need need that, but also <laughs> let me educate on some you know some stuff. So I think, um, but for the most part, it's it's less about like an invalidation of, like, this isn't a thing, no way, and more of a, like, they're afraid. Hmm. And so they they just need more information. Um, I think the other thing is um, there is a pendulum swing now of everybody has anxiety, everybody has depression, everybody, everybody. So every kid, I hear that commonly um, within youth settings of like, well, every girl in my group says they have anxiety. And I'm like, well, there's a difference between nervousness right. and and that life stage of like, I'm anxious to go to school versus I have full-blown anxiety. There's a difference there. So I think um, with with parents and I, you know, the medication thing, I think there's just a lot of fear of, of dependency of like, this is a crutch or this is the one thing you're going to need. And now my kid's not going to do any other work. And so and I, as a therapist, have my beef with that. You know, I don't want you to just get medication. Like, that may help. Absolutely. And I am super validating of let's get you, you know, that edge taken off so that we can kind of do that work. But it it has to be in tandem. There are very few people, I would say, just need medication and don't need to do the work with it. Sure. And so it really does take working in tandem with the medical community and the psychological, you know, mental health community to come together on that um, and usually both sides that I've talked to anybody in the medical community is very affirming of like absolutely I always recommend that you know and I I recommend too I've had people where I'm like I think you need to look at this and I've had to advocate for some of my teens with their parents of like they're doing good work they're showing up they are trying and this low level of anxiety is is just constant for them and the confidence that it's killing you know if we can just get some of that to cut off a little bit with some of that medication I think they could do better work I think they could even move mm-hmm. farther and so um, I do advocate a lot for it but I think in general with when it comes to the parents. I I very much so when I work with teens, I believe it to be a family systems approach. Like I am not a family therapist in the sense of like all of you are coming in, but I work very closely with parents as best as I can. I give the kid a safe place to share and we even have confidentiality um Mm -hmm. limits that you know we can not share things with parents that kids share with us as long as it's outside of that harm to self-harm to others type stuff. And so giving them a safe place to share but always encouraging i don't work with a single team that i'm not like and we're bringing mom in next week you need to work on that with her and we're bringing dad in and we're you know what i mean so i i always kind of encourage that together so that the parent feels just as much informed as the kid because they need just as much education every parent that i see is like can i come in can you tell me how to help them can you you know what i mean every parent i have is so affirming of like i want to help please educate me how can i be a better parent to understand my kids anxiety or whatever so same with you tony you that. Now, Tony has a yeah, different a feeling. Yeah, what do
3: you have? No, no, you're not wrong. No, it's, it is true. I mean, and I do this, a lot of the same stuff where it's a fam- It's not just a social system. It's a family system issue. Right. So if your, if your family system is generating an anxious environment, that's it not helpful to your kid. Yeah. So mm-hmm. your kid can do all the work in the world, but they're walking into – they have to sleep at night in an environment that's anxious. You know right, that's right. that's a problem. So, um, so you know my my issue I've noticed is that there's a lot of problems with Christian parents as opposed. I've noticed the non-Christian parents are a lot more willing and open to see where they where there's error, mm-hmm. and a lot of the Christian parents just want behavior modification.
4: Yeah,
3: and that's one of the things that I struggle with, and I try to like generate with a lot of these parents when they come into sessions is like um it is like it's more than just behavior modification um and a lot of these uh, a lot of these parents in and a lot of churches they 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 really pound home this idea that like you just need biblical counseling you need biblical counseling and they reach out to me and they're like we saw you used to be a pastor that's why we want to come to you and we want biblical counseling and it's like okay well sometimes even if your faith is 100% real the last thing you want to do is talk to Jesus mm. and so Telling the student that they just need to go to youth group or go to winter camp or pray or just worship like that's not like that doesn't help anything, mm-hmm. and so um, mm-hmm. I just think this this idea around that like biblical counseling is like the golden ticket. It's like it's not. In fact, it's most of the time. N- not helpful <laughs> sure yeah and, so, yeah. and sometimes and you can't access that and, and, until you
2: work through like they're so anxious yeah. they can't you know and so you know what I, mean? I get
3: parents that come in and they're like well he's super depressed he used to be a really good kid and I'm like oh well what happened and they're so like he's well he's they, they go they go well he's he's vaping <laughs> I'm like, well, so he's depressed because he's vaping they're like well yeah he's vaping and he's sneaking out with his friends and he's like uh looking at porn and so he's just, like, doesn't seem to care about anything anymore. He's just, like, he used to be such a good kid. And I'm, like, well, he's also 16. So, what? I mean, right. I don't understand, like, right. how call is this, how does this mean depression, you know? And these parent, a lot of these Christian parents, mm. like, they get mad. They'll call me and they'll text me and they'll be, like, it's not working. You know, I, we want to go to every other week because we don't think counseling is working. And I'm, like, it's because you want behavior modification. Mm. And a lot of these other parents who aren't necessarily – uh, Christian, um, they're more open to the ideas of like how their, their family system is affecting their kid. And so it's uh, it's a really weird place for parents to be, especially in the Christian culture sure. because there's a huge stigma. Well, what does it mean? If my kid has mental health issues, that means that he's obviously like, you know, this whole idea of Jesus is a healer and like, mm-hmm. well, he shouldn't be struggling with this stuff. And it's just, so it's like a weird, it's like these parents, they just like... The parents create so much of the problems mm. with these kids, and yeah. it's really hard. And I sit in sessions with a lot of students, and I just go, dude, bro, I can't help you. I don't know what else. I mean, we can work on you, but like, like I can't change mom or dad. Like, sure.
2: that's why I bring yeah. them in. I bring them in, and I say, we got to confirm <coughs> on this. I well, see it too. Mom and dad need to a lot, And a lot, a lot yeah. of the times, the Christian
3: yeah. mom and dads don't want to come in. Right.
2: Mm. Like they reluctantly
3: come in for like one session. I do some psycho ed, and then they're like out, and they like don't want to come back. Mm. They usually drop them off, and then they leave, and they have me run the card on file. That's what we do for a date night, so. (laughs) And (laughs) so it's It's like, like like you want to pull the parents in, and they're just like, they're just like disengaged, like they're Mm. just like, fix my kid. Right. He's used to be a good Christian boy, go to youth group, and now he's smoking. He now he's vaping. Right. And it's like, well, that's not like he's also sixteen. So like, I always tell him like it's developmentally appropriate. Doesn't mean it's right, but it's developmentally appropriate. Sure. So right. like I you know, and and a lot of the the non Christian parents like they're more engaging and less taboo about it. Like more like there must be something something here. My yeah. my yeah. kid's anxious. And- but you
2: know what I've noticed on the on the flip side of that, I do have parents who come in like that from church world. But if you can, because it is a need that we have, spirituality in general, no matter what your belief system is, that is a huge component of who we are. You know what I mean? We we all have the capacity to to reach into that place, and I think if you can get. Those those Christian families on board, I have noticed in that capacity, they do. They come in very timid, very reluctant. Are you trying to use these tools instead of Jesus, instead of you know? And if you can do both, if you can educate and calm to understand that the tools that we use are God given, hmm. um, and and then the two can work together. That's the ultimate win. I've noticed the most success if you can get those two together, because it is the kids who come in who say, I want nothing to do with my church because my parents, blah, 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 blah. And the parents are like, I just want that. And then you calm that system. The kids do come back around and they do seek that for themselves. And it may look different than their parents, but they seek it wholeheartedly for themselves. And that, you know, combination of understanding their brains, their bodies, their minds, their souls, all of it together is, is very holistically healing from what I can see if you can get all of them yeah. together yeah yeah i mean there's
1: we we see this all the time and we're constantly attacking it um you know in in youth ministry and church you know and in general but there's just this there's always the weird um like false dichotomy of sacred and secular yeah and nobody uh, like most people don't actually like ever delve into that to mm-hmm. realize that god doesn't separate the two mm. You know, it's like, well, if, if this is like, like you guys talk about like with biblical counseling versus like, you know, professional counseling sure. and, and these two, and it's okay. like, well, what's the difference? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. one is using like scripture only. And it's like, well, do we do that elsewhere in the world? Is, is it, is our other, th- like, if it's not purely like using scripture and, you know, is it not is it not God given? Is it not? And and that's the hard part is that, and then you run into, you know, these worldview differences and understanding like, well, you know, God didn't create crap. He created everything good. And if everything in this world was created good, that means that there's nothing innately bad and it's just what we do with it. And so I think it's, you know, that's helpful but I think like the phrase that always comes to mind I think I don't know who said it maybe it was Judith Smith I don't know but the it's okay to not be okay yeah and that's like something that I don't know when I heard that first but that was huge yeah and I use that like even with like fifth and sixth graders yeah to be able to tell them like hey right. like when we come in and it's like you know they come to Sunday school and they're like oh man like I gotta I gotta say I'm good like right. I can't say and it's like no it's okay to say that you're not okay. Right, right. You can It's sit okay to in not here. be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a yeah. So the
2: the idea of come as you are, you know what yeah, I mean. Com- be ex- exactly. Be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that I think is is a huge component because it is, um, you know, God God designed the mind. <laughs> if we understand yeah. the mind and how it works. That is biblical. <laughs> you know what I mean. So we go back to over and over and over again. It's like, well, are you, you know, is it witchcraft that you're doing with this EMDR thing? It's like, no, I'm. Yes, neuroplasticity and the idea that <laughs> the brain hold, can play, change I'd and hold grow. That.
0: It is witchcraft. <laughs>
2: that is, Come it is on. magical. I will say, <laughs> it is magical. But um, they watch
0: and, Harry Potter. Right, I mean, it's
2: but and that's the reason you know I know that we went that route. I would not have so. access to that tool if I didn't sure. do the clinical route. You know what I mean? But it is. It does. It's a component of all the things. I I will say my clients who don't want a faith component at all, no spirituality entered into their services, um, no matter what it is, I'm, I'm affirming of wherever you're at. Let's talk about, you know, you're Buddhist, great. How is that incorporated into your, into your life? Because you need to have that spiritual component. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it, we're all created and designed to have that need. And so um, I've noticed my clients who don't have that at all. They only can go so far. Sure. I can give them all the tools in the world, and there's still something there. You know what I mean? So yeah, we're
0: not, a, we're, not just right. we're not just physical beings, right? Emotional just emotional
2: beings. There is a we're spiritual not Just mind, to body us. mind body spirit. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, it's we're holistic.
1: Just, yeah, it's mm-hmm. one everything. one thing.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so kind of even picking up piggybacking off of uh, what Pat said, um, and I was just thinking through this too. Like, um, you know, I'm married, have two kids, really? um, live life. And I hear, I hear uh, counselors say all the time, like, you know, so much is developed when you're little kids, and are youth, and even into college, and like, so much is developed. Um, and I could think back, like, oh my gosh, like, yes, like the things that I, my mind developed, uh, my perspective developed on things during that during that period of my life. Um, how do you encourage youth? Because I feel like it's such a pivotal time. How do you encourage them? the the ten to twenty one year olds, that hey it's like you've got to be open with this. Yeah. You have to have, be vulnerable to say this happened or I'm struggling with this. Right. How do you encourage them or what are outlets that they can have to? Because the for, at least for me, I just suppressed it. Just right. push it down, push it down, push it down, or I'll deal with it later. Right. Um, you know how do you encourage young people? To, to be stay. open, to, to go, it's not okay. Something's right. not, like like getting them to say, hey, it's okay to say you're not okay. Right. Um,
2: I, I feel like that's where I think there's so much fear that comes in is I, I see kids saying, I'm not okay. And I see parents saying, you're fine, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's where we talk about the invalidation is huge because um, parents not validating means they, they feel unhurt. They feel like it's not a thing, I can't talk about it. So who do they talk to? Their friends. I have a ton of youth who... I think it's unanimous, actually, with every teen that I see. There is some component in their friendships and social world of, yeah, my friend keeps calling me and saying she thinks she's suicidal and I have to stay up with her till 3 in the morning and talk to her because I'm worried she's going to hurt. You know what I mean? Like, there is some component of they're going to each other for that mm. and they overwhelm each other with that. They mm. can't, like, I. they get so stressed about, like, I don't know how to help them, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I can't fix it. And so I think the idea behind you know, that being, you know, constant for them. And and so really and truly when they say I need help, you know, that that it means it. So if their parents aren't validating of that, or they're not able to get that, you know, professional help if it's that severity, community I think is is absolutely pivotal. You know, there's lots of lots of access now that I think again, you talk about there's technology being positive again. You can look up there's tons of reading material, videos, YouTube, like all kinds of access to materials to help you understand what's going on, what you're dealing with. Um, lots of connection that way. But also to go back to kind of what Tony said about the neuroplasticity within the brain, that is actually actually been found to be, um, most susceptible to change, um- in the young years, that like zero to six, um, in adolescence, and then right after childbirth. So hmm. encouragement-wise, in well, the like adolescence, giving childbirth. Y- no, the dad that's being supported. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, no. it's, it's something my brain with the hormones. Ready to change right yeah, exactly. To Maybe both. Children. It could be both. Right. I I've only known that it's been researched in women. Okay. Um, so, but but so if you in really adolescence, need to change, yeah. girls,
0: get married and yeah. get pregnant. I
2: think it's something about the hormones, perhaps. But um, <clears throat> when when you're in adolescence, your brain is is highly susceptible change Mm -hmm. um and you think about it like the things that we learned when we were adolescents you still use every single day it's how you view the world it it shapes a huge part of your identity that's why you know they talk about the different life stages in the psychological you know theories and stuff and and this is a huge huge time period you are figuring out who you are and what you want Mm -hmm. so encouragement and hope of like this it's prime time. You have to share that stuff, or that's gonna get ingrained. And if you stuff it now, you are you know you're making two times as many neural right. pathways that say right. stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, versus you know what I mean, just the average. So definitely, you know, it's it's, it's time to share because sure. it's you, you're at your best op- opportunity. You know, the brain can always change. Neuroplasticity is constant, but heightened at that sure. age range, which yeah. is unique.
3: I think it depends mm-hmm. on the demographic. Sure. If it's a church demographic, youth pastors parents have to just like Patrick said have to really push this like just tell me it's not okay it's okay because what you're gonna get is they're gonna be like well it's I'm not feeling okay it's like well why and they're like well I'm just feeling really depressed well why well I lost my phone why'd you lose your phone because I was vaping and you're like Okay, well so you're not really depressed. You're just mad that mom took your phone right, away. Right. So it's then like getting them to admit that they're not okay and then helping them filter through because they have a low window of tolerance yeah. and they don't have any regulation skills or not right. good ones, they don't know how to sift through like when they're just like when they're just like bummed out about a consequence. Or if they're actually depressed. Mm-hmm. And so it's like getting to understand, well, like, well, of course, like, you were vaping. You're not allowed to vape. So you lost your phone. Like, that's not depression. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're bummed out about losing your phone. Well, of course you would. So, of course you think mom is annoying. Like, why not, right? I'm 30. My mom's still annoying. <laughs> I love her, right? But, like,
2: Sorry, so Michael. it's like
3: it's like <laughs> learning how to, like, you know, getting just being that, per, that mentor, that person that gets the kids to say they're not okay. And then when they tell you why then you you know being that voice that helps them sift through and filter like like is this really something normalizing that emotion or, yeah normalizing or, yeah. it just being like oh well it's not really you're not depressed you're just but don't you tell a
2: youth that just <laughs> that will this will, that will you're not just, go it's well. actually just <laughs>
3: this you know and so you know i a lot of times students in in sessions would be like you're just telling my mom to Give me more consequences. It's like, well, yeah. You need You have, to, you have to, the more the more consistent your consequences are, the less it's attached to your identity, and the more mm-hmm. you attach that consequence to the action, and then the more the higher window tolerance you get because now you're just like learning how to deal with consequences for your actions. Like, Boundaries. yeah. So it's yeah. like not that big of a deal. So it's like, um, and so it's just if that's your demographic, then it's having these leaders in these kids' lives kind of force the issue and kind of make them confront like what really is going on. Oh, okay, well your girlfriend just dumped you. So okay, well you what you're experiencing you're defining as depression, but let's just go through it. Really, you're just really sad. Like your heart's broken. And, yeah, yeah and you're grieving like this girl that like maybe she was your first kiss or yeah. like and that's that's hard. That's a hard place to be. I remember my first kiss, you know, and um and so and then if it's not a Christian demographic, it's just teachers, it's parents, it's these other networks that can mm-hmm. kind of pour into these kids um, and get them help them filter through like because I think it's easy just to be like I'm depressed it's like okay you're not depressed. right? right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You feel sad. Well, and yeah. so it's learning how to. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's far and few in between that are just literally clinically where it's like, I'm not sure why I have no idea. I have no reason to be sad. And I just can't stop weeping. Usually I can always find a source for something. And then you kind of go with like, you know, there are some, it's a clinical depression and we need to mm-hmm. go the medication route to help get sure. you through this, mm-hmm. this period or, you know, um, so not to invalidate them, but also to normalize like some of them, it is they're over responding. And the only term they have, or the un- only understanding they have is to call it. I'm, I'm, I have anxiety or I have depression. Mm. No, you are anxious or you are sad, but some of them do. Absolutely. There are some who have, you know, that component.
0: So last question. Um, how do you, or what could, what would you like to say to a young person listening, um, that even the wide range, um, has gone through something, um, highly traumatic, not traumatic, uh, not, not highly traumatic, but um, is wrestling through stuff like, how can you or what do you say to give them that hope that this can you can get through this? Um, wh- why would they believe that? Um, I'm ju- I'm just convinced that there's a suicide epidemic around that it's yeah. easier to just end it um, because there's no hope and it's it's this it's this. Um, it, it's better to be dead than to be alive. At least the pain ends. There's no hope in sight. Um, and as two two people in the profession of literally, I see you as hope givers, um, validators, advocates to say um, nothing is too big. Um, we can get through this. You can get through this. Um, you will get through this. It's gonna be hard work. It's not like it just magically happens. But there is hope. Um, like what do you what do you say to a young person who um, genuinely just feels like it, there, there's no way? There's absolutely no way I can get through this.
4: Yeah. Um,
0: Not to leave all that loan or anything. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think I, when I think about what I do, um, and when I think about, you know, why it's so important to me, um, you know, I have, I have tattooed on me, like, we are all broken, and that's how the light gets in. And um, and that goes back to, you know, my favorite art form or whatever, you know, a kintsugi, which is that Japanese art form where they take broken pieces of... of pottery or clay or bowls or different things. And they, instead of, you know, throwing it away because it broke or just gluing it together so it looks whole again, they fill the cracks with precious metals, like with gold and with silver and things to accentuate the story of the piece and to not minimize the brokenness, but to accentuate it and say like, this is important. So I think that gives me tremendous hope because when I realize that my brokenness isn't something to hide but is something that makes me who I am, not that it identifies me, but it's part of my story. And it's part of, I, I would not be here giving hope, as you've said, if I didn't have brokenness because there wouldn't be a place within me that relates to and empathetically understands where most of the people who are coming in are coming from, you know. And so, um, I, I think again, that you know goes back to. God uses our stories and God, God meets us right there, that our brokenness is, is right exactly where he comes in, where we've reached the end of ourselves. So I, I really think when, when I think of youth and I think of like the brokenness that they're in, cause it is, it's, it's such a devastating time period of like, you're expected to do it on your own, but you're still a kid, but you're still, you know, so many different components going on is, you know, it will pass, it will pass, you know, this, this is not your forever, but even if it feels like it is, you're not alone. And that mm-hmm. that brokenness isn't something to hide, but it's something to share. Because, and I found that to be so healing. Again, you know, that goes all the way back to everything I've kind of reiterated, that the attachment, you know, is um, that's why we feel so alone. And so when a kid shares, I'm broken, and another kid shares me too, mm. and it's like this instant, like gold of like that's when the light gets in. That's when you feel like you know what, like you're going through something. I'm going through something, but I'm not alone in it. And the loneliness, I think, is honestly, when you talk about suicide, that is the main echo of all of it. Is is I'm alone. I'm alone. This pain hurts so bad. Nobody understands me. Nobody can help me. I'm alone, and it's you know what I mean. Nobody would even care. Nobody would miss me. That kind of a feeling. Um, and so that that's kind of my my hope. Giving of that is you know. We're all broken. That's where the light gets in, you know. Like open, share that, and and attach, and and meet somebody right there. Like God meets you right there. So,
3: yeah. Um, our pastor said something on our uh, our fuse weekend, which is like our church's like um, like local like camp, like summer camp kind of thing, and then the church does like a, a big service to celebrate them. And he he preached a sermon, and he his three points in the sermon were. Um, Come honest, come messy, and keep coming. Mm. And it was so profound that we got it. We got it printed and put on our wall in our living room, um, tied with that verse that you. Um, Psalms thirty four
2: eighteen.
3: Thirty four. I always. I always.
2: I never. That's also tattooed it. on my body. Yeah. God is. Yeah. Close Psalms to the 34, 18. Hearted. and yeah. just
3: that. You know, that's that was the verse that you you told me. Yeah. Kind of reminds you of it's not okay to. It's okay it's to okay not okay be. To, yeah. Not be okay. Mm-hmm. So like letting them know that like just come honest. Come messy. Don't clean yourself up before you come. Right. And then keep coming. Um, that you don't have to, like, come messy, get cleaned up, and then stay clean. Like, mm-hmm. that's part of the process. And one of the things that he talked about in that sermon was was that God loves you and likes you. Not just loves you, but likes you right now the way you are. Not who you're going to be, mm-hmm. but right now how you are how you are right now. Like, he likes you. Right. Um, you're and so tired. it's, it's more like the encouragement in them is, is to help them understand like the hope is that maybe and this, I don't want to like counter what Jess said, or if it even it relates, I don't know, but like maybe that it, it's not going to be okay. Right. Mm. But, but you're that's, not alone. Right. But that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, um, it's mostly, I, I would just encourage them to identify the season, um, You know, we we oftentimes view seasons of winter as um, cold, barren, dead, um, quiet, kind of, like, creepy, eerie, um, dense. Like, it's just, like, this weird... Um, season, especially in areas where there's snow and, and like leaves are off the trees and things like that. But one of the things that John and Melissa Helsler from uh, Bethel and um, Cageless Birds talk about in uh, one of their songs is that um, the idea behind um, the seasons is that there's clarity in winter. Hmm. Hmm. When there's no leaves on the trees, you can see further. When yeah. it's not, when it's more dense and quiet, you can hear more. Yeah. And so, what's happening under all the snow and all the ice is this like rejuvenation of the soil, um, and the things that need to die die, and the things that be, need to be regrown are born stronger and healthier. Um, and so, it's learning to identify the seasons that you're in. As someone who is struggling with currently and and from the past as well, dealing with my own suicidal journey um it's that empathy in that and I've I've struggled with like why am I getting all these teenagers
2: when I'm having (laughs) a lot of
3: the same thoughts and the one thing I can rest in is the clarity of winter it's like I've gotten everything I wanted in my life I've worked toward everything I got and I got it but yeah I still feel like I'm in a season of winter and the only thing I can pull from that at the moment is I have a whole lot of clients I actually have one client who actually did shoot himself in the face and didn't successfully kill himself and it's a current client that I have you know and my ability to actually be in a dark enough place to know like I was like close to doing something mm. like that gives me an ability to tap into a part right. of myself that like really knows that feeling and I feel like he's even expressed to me that like not a lot of other therapists have been able to do that right right where it's just like God's got this or like yeah. these, right, all these like little line it. <laughs> sort yeah. of like this thing but he's like you I feel like you like get it and I'm like, well, I do get it because I look at you and I see, like, maybe what I could have done. Mm-hmm. And so my my hope for them is just learning how to sit with other people who are feeling those same things and just rest in the clarity of winter um, if you're in that season. Mm-hmm. And so my ability to sit with my own struggles allows me to empathize with other people's struggles um, and see them really for who they are, and then he can do the same thing for other people. And so mostly it's like that seasonal winter, it's like understanding that, like, Maybe it won't be okay. I don't know. Like maybe your dad will always right. be that way, or maybe your mom will always be that way, or maybe um, your parent died. Well, that's never going to be okay, right? right? Like right. that's that's a hard thing to right. deal with, and so um, it's learning how to how to take that seasonal winter and say, winter. Um, yeah. "Wow, like this isn't okay. Maybe it won't be okay." And but when spring comes the things that needed to die have already gone away yeah. but it's gonna things it's gonna be it's gonna be a rejuvenating spring um, and so just sitting with that clarity but learning how to sit with your own not okayness messiness yeah that's hard um, Allows you to be there for other people too.
2: and or, Right. And the only capacity you have to understand that grief or that pain. You know, a lot of people say, I have a lot of clients who have a lot of grief and pain like that, depression, and they say, people say the stupidest stuff to me. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah. just don't open your mouth. You know what I mean? Kind of yeah. thing. And and you only kind of really understand that when you've been there yourself. You know? Yeah.
3: But and it's yeah. one of those things like when, it, when someone is like really depressed, um, like, sometimes, like, someone is just like, well, I we just pray to Jesus and do these things. And it's like, listen, uh, I fully believe, you know, in the power of the, re- the redemptive power of the gospel. But sometimes you want to take that prayer and you want to shove it up your head.
2: Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's
3: like, because yeah. right now, you're just, you're not there. Right. You're not in that headspace. Right,
2: right. It's okay and, not to be okay and, right and, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and
3: so, I mean, that article in October that came out said that what was there in the East Valley, which is Gilbert, Chandler, Mesa, Queen Creek stuff like that. It's in October, this last October, the, in the East Valley, there were 31 suicides mm-hmm. within the past 15 months of October. Yeah. So, um, and uh, I think it was like the East Valley Tribune posted or whatever. And uh, and that's so true to the epidemic. And I think a lot of people, they hit winter and then they give up. Yeah. They hit their season yeah. and they're like, I don't know the point of this. Right, right. And so it's like, it's it, and I remember being there and I guess that's the sure, point. is like sure. learning how to sit with that clarity and be like, Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Right.
0: Right. That's huge. Well, thank you guys for your time. Great conversation. And uh, have a good rest of your Saturday. Thanks. You too.
2: You too.